Shalom, and I hope all is well. My name is Yitzchak Schiffman. Thanks for tuning into this podcast, and I hope you enjoy the Torah classes in it. Now, on to the episode. Okay, Be'ezat Hashem, today in Masechet Megillah, we're going to learn Yid Gimla Mudbet 13b, and we're starting the very bottom of Yid Gimla Mud Aleph, Amr Lazar. That's where we left off yesterday. Um, really, we're going to have one sugya. We'll first discuss the tzniut. We'll see it. Tzniut was a genetic trait that happened from generation to generation, as we'll see. But specifically, it ties back into the Purim story. It will bring us back here. So, Amr Abelazar, my dechtiv. What does it mean when it says the pasuk in Eov? It says as follows. You'd give me a bit now. Lo mitzadik enav. It says... Hashem will not withdraw from the tzaddik his eyes. Now, the way Rashi explains it is, Hashem Meaning, if a tzaddik does something virtuous, it might not look like he's getting rewarded immediately, but Hashem places his eyes on him, meaning he will eventually get what he is deserving. That's, that's how Rashi explains. So what is this referring to in the context of the Megillah? And this is a fascinating thing. The Gemara here tells us that midot tovot, the, it, that is the reward itself. Meaning, when we find that someone righteous acted with a certain good midah, the reward is that their children will act with that same good midah as well. A very interesting idea. It says like this, because of the tzniut, the, literally means modesty, let's just go with that, that Rachel possessed, she merited to have a child who was Shaul. Now, it wasn't her child. Shaul was from Shevet Binyamin. Binyamin was her child, and Shaul was the first king. So she merited to have a great-great-grandson who was the king of the Jewish people named Shaul HaMelech. And because of the modesty Shaul possessed, he merited that Esther descended from him because Esther was from Shevet bin Yamin and she was a granddaughter, great-granddaughter from Shaul HaMelech. So the Gemara says, what is this tzniut that we're talking about? This is probably one of the most famous Gemarot in all the Masechta. What is the tzniut that Rachel possessed? The Pasuk tells us when Yaakov arrives in, in uh, Haran, it says, you know, we know the story is that Yaakov leaves the yeshiva after 14 years and he arrives in Haran and he sees Rachel at the well. We know the story. Mm-hmm. So the Gemara tells us, it says, Vayaged Yaakov the Rachel, Yaakov told Rachel, Ki achi aviyahu, that he was her father's brother. The problem is, Yaakov was not Lavan's brother, ya- uh, Betuel's brother. Yaakov, one second, no, Lavan's brother, right? Wait, Rachel? One second, who was Lavan's, who was Rachel's father? Lavan's father was, no, no, excuse me. Rachel's father was Lavan, right? Rachel's father was Lavan, right, right. So Yaakov said, I'm Lavan's brother. I'm not Lavan's brother because actually Yaakov's mother, Rivka, was Lavan's brother. So why is Yaakov calling himself Lavan's brother? It's not true. So the Gemara says, Was he really her father's brother? He was the son of the sister of her father. Meaning, actually, Lavan was his uncle, actually. So Ella, what Yaakov was saying was figuratively, I'm his brother. Now, what was he saying? He was saying that I'm his equal in trickery. That's what Yaakov was saying. What does it mean? 
Amar la. So what happened was Yaakov said to Rachel, Mintzivali, I want you to marry me. Right, right away, he knew that that was his, uh, his zivug. So Amar she said back in, yes, I'm agreeable. Miu aburamahu. But she said, my father Lavan is a big trickster. Veloyachotle, you will not be able to overcome him. She knew the nature of her father and she knew if he tries to play hardball with her father, he's going to lose. Amar la, so Yaakov's response was, the uh, Bach adds in over here. Second, Iramaihu. If he is a trickster, Achivanabramaot. I am his brother in trickery. Meaning Yaakov's response to that was, "You don't have to worry because I'm I'm his equal." That's what he was essentially saying. I'm his equal in trickery. So Amrale. So she said back to Yaakov. <coughs> Is it permissible for righteous people to go in a way of trickery? Meaning, you're not allowed to act in trickery. How are you allowed to say, you'll behave this way? So Yaakov said, yes. With a straight person, be straight. And with a crooked person, you could be perverted. Meaning, if somebody treats you in a roundabout way, in a tricky way, you can do the same thing back. So if Lavan's going to treat me this way, I'll be his equal. Very interesting. So Rachel said back, so Yaakov said to Rachel, What is the trickery that you're suspecting he'll do? She said, I have an older sister named Leah. He won't marry me off before her. So she said, I know that's what's going to happen is he's going to try to marry her off to you instead of me. So Yaakov gave her certain simanim, certain signs that the wedding night would be able to be used to determine that it was actually her. When that night came, Amra, she said, what, she said what I had predicted is actually going to happen. Leah's being re- led to the chuppah. And she said, therefore, my sister's going to be embarrassed because she's not going to have the simanim. Yaakov's going to realize and it'll be shameful for her. So Masartinu Niala, she gave over those simanim to Leah. And that's why in Vayetze, when it says, the next morning after the wedding, it says, It was in the morning and it was Leah. What's the emphasis it was in the morning? Because until now it was not Leah. And meaning until now it was not Leah, means all along it was Leah. What are you saying? It was only the morning it was Leah. Mm-hmm. Yaakov only realized because she had been given the simanim. Now, the Gemara calls this tzni'ut. How's that tzni'ut? What do you want to call it? You want to call it uh, saving someone else's shame. But tzni'ut is the way the Gemara defines this behavior. So Rashi adds in over here, she gave over the simanim, and that sniut shelo parsem hadavar shemasar la simanim. Rashi says she did not publicize the matter that she gave the simanim. Now, what's the idea? Modesty means keeping private, private information or private things. Things that are meant to be kept private are kept private. Now, it could mean also part, showing parts of the body, but it also is a way to talk. Is that there's certain things you don't publicize. Because it's private, that's, that's, that's modesty. So in the context here, it's a, it's a unique application, but it means she did not, the way simply Rashi seems to say is, she did not make it known that Leah should not have married. I only gave her the simanin, and because of that, she was able to marry Yaakov. She kept that idea private. So that's tzniut. 
I want to mention also, there is a Midrash here that explains, which I never understood, but this Midrash explains, how could it be that Yaakov didn't realize that it was uh, Leah? He, he's talking to her. He would hear her voice, meaning it's a... So the Midrash says even further, the Midrash is unbelievable. Midrash says, Rachel hid under the bed when Yaakov was with Leah, and when he would ask Leah a question, Rachel would respond so that he wouldn't realize that it was Leah. Wow. <laughs> so anyways, the kids are, that was the Sniut. So therefore, let's continue back in the Gemara. Lafikach, Zachtav Shaul. She merited, Rachel merited that she would have a great-great-grandson of Shaul HaMelech, who also had Sniut. Umat Sniut Haita B'Shaul. what was his Sniut? Tichtiv, like it says in Shmuel Aleph, V'edvaram Lucha Lohigidlo, that the, the matter of the Malchut, Shaul did not re- reveal to his uncle Asher Amar Shmuel that Shmuel had said. means when Shaul was told that he was going to be the, become the king, he didn't want to reveal that information because he was modest about it. He was told by the king, by, by, by uh, the prophet, by, by Shmuel Anavi, you're going to be the next king. It was all a story there. He comes back to his uncle, Shaul, Shaul not HaMelech yet, but, and his uncle asks him, what did the prophet tell you? And he said, eh, whatever, he told me this, that, and the other, but he didn't tell him that I'm going to become the king. next king. That was considered Sniut. So he merited that Esther would come from him, who also we had finished off yesterday saying she would not reveal her background. So that's how it ties in. She kept private, quiet about the things that were not meant to be revealed. That was That's the Midah Keneged Midah. Let's continue. So we quoted Rebbe Lazar, that's why we're quoting him again here. Rebbe Lazar says, when HaKadosh Baruch Hu paskins, he gives over greatness to a person, he gives this greatness to all of his future generations as well. It means it's a permanent gift. The Pasuk tells us in Eov, It says, He will sit them, he, he sat them, or he established them for eternity, and he raised them up. And the implication is, this is not just for the person's greatness, even for his children as well. However, the imhigizdato, if a person receives that greatness and then he becomes full of himself, he becomes balgava, so then Hashem will lower him. It will remind him that he's just a person. like the Pasuk says, it says, he will be bound in chains, etc. So the emphasis is, you could lose that if you start to act haughty. Okay, now back to the Purim story. It says in the Megillah, the bidding or the word of Mordechai Esther used to do. So Amr Biyirmi, Biyirmi says something unbelievable. He says, That Esther, even while she was in the palace, would show Damnida. She had what she wasn't sure if it was a Mare, her period or not. She would show the, the blood to the Chachamim to determine if she was Torah or she was Tmeya. This is unbelievable to think about because she's in the palace, she's with Achashverosh, and yet she still had the ability somehow to interact with the Chachamim without the officers and the king realizing that she's a Jewess. So this is a pretty a pretty unbelievable thing. Um, there is, I believe, there is a Midrash, I believe it's a Midrash, that suggests that actually Esther... I mean, at least till the end of the story, I guess, what, what did not have relations with Achashverosh, but there was a shade that took her place that looked like her. There is something that I once heard like that. Yeah, that yeah, to yeah, Pella, yeah. though, to say that. I mean, because in the yeah. story, it makes it difficult. But anyways, 
Back in the story. We said that she remained with her faith with Mordechai. So what does it mean with her faith? He says unbelievable things. She would get up from the embrace of Achashverosh, from being with him, and she would go to the mikveh, wash herself, and go back to being with Mordechai. So the point is that she was able to which is incredible that she was able to play this game going between one and the other and there was no issue there. Now, the Megillah tells us, It says, in those days Mordechai was at the gate of the king and he heard, overheard a conversation that Bigtan and Teresh, who were two officers of the king, had gotten upset at the king and they were plotting an assassination. That's, we know the story. Bigtan and Teresh. So, Amr Abichia Bar Abba, Amr Chiyabar Abba says in the name of Rabbi Yochanan, all of the Megillah, the whole story, is the hidden hand of Hashem organizing the events as they're supposed to be. So, Hashem made a master upset at his servants, to do the will of the righteous. Umanu, who does that refer to? Yosef, referring to the case of Yosef. What happened is that Hashem, got Paro upset at the Sarah Mashkim and the Sarah Ophim, the butler and the baker, so they were thrown in prison with Yosef, so they would come to learn Yosef, so eventually when Paro would have a dream, the Sarah Mashkim would be able to say, look, this is this guy who's a dream interpreter. That's to do the Ritzon of the Tzaddik, where the master got upset at his servants. And Avadim al and this is a similar idea, Hashem made servants upset at their master, to do a, the, a miracle for the Tzaddik. Umanu Mordechai, this refers to Mordechai. As it says, It says, the matter became known to Mordechai. Meaning, is that he was able to overhear the assassination plot. He told it to Esther. Esther told it to Achashverosh. And at the end of the story, this became the tipping point. Where this actually pr- pr- predict or predicated, this was before Haman was taking Mordechai around on the horse. Who is the person that the king wishes to honor? Refer- and this was really the tip where it went from the terrible reality to the ultimate Geula. Rabbi Yochanan explained. This is how they teach us in school. Bigtan and Teresh were two people from Torsim or Tarshish. They used to speak in the language of Torsi, and they were saying the following. They were saying like this. From the day that Esther came into the palace, we haven't been able to sleep. So why is that? Because Achashverosh had such a ta'ava for her, because he was, she was so attractive to him, he had so many relations with her, and it made him very thirsty. And their job was to bring water to the king. So all night they were bringing water to the king. So they were upset about this. Let's put poison in his water so that he dies, and then we don't have to worry about it. But they did not know. Mordechai was from the Sanhedrin. And he knew 70 languages. So he overheard the conversation, and he was able to report it back, and that was Tachashverosh. So one of them said to the others, it's part of their conversation still. But our watches are not the same. He said like this, we each have different jobs. So how could one of us put the poison? We're both busy doing work. So if we're both busy doing work, we don't have free time to put poison in the water. Apparently they were overwhelmed with work. 
So Amarlo one said back to the other, I'll double shift. I'll watch my guard and your guard. And, and then you could go and put the poison in the water. That's what it means when it says in the Pasuk, it says the matter was investigated like the, the plot had been, and it was found that they were actually plotting this. What, what was found? Meaning, they found one guy was missing from duty. That's how they were able to determine Mordechai's report had been true, because they had made a plot that one of them would go slip away, put poison in the water. Okay, one second. Yeah. Let's continue. It says, this is the third parak in the Megillah, I believe, parak Gimel. And this is the rise of Haman. It says, after these words, Haman became the officer. So everyone gets excited on Purim, they start making a lot of noise. So <laughs> Haman was elevated, and everyone got excited. That's the story there. So what's Acharad Varim Ela? Meaning the, the Megillah seems to imply something happened first, and then Haman was elevated to his position of power. What was the first thing? So the Gemara says, Amar Rava, Rava says, it's a beautiful thing happens to be. When Hashem punishes the Jewish people, He always prepares the refuah before the makkah, yeah. the antidote before the punishment. Why? The idea is because the punishment is not because He wants to really hurt us. He really wants us to do teshuvah. So what He does is He prepares the refuah before the makkah because he's, what He's basically telling us is, I'm doing this for your good and I'm showing you You'll find out after the refuah was already created beforehand. Baharaya, this is only for your good. Hashem only punishes the Jews unless he creates the, the healing, the antidote first. Where do we know that from? Like the Pasuk tells us in Oshea, it says, It says, the refuah, the healing of the Jewish people, and then he reveals the sin of Ephraim and he punishes them. But by the Goyim, it's the opposite. First, Hashem punishes them, and then He creates the refuah. Meaning, He doesn't mind if they're destroyed, because really, the, refuah, the punishment is a punishment. It's a genuine punishment. Afterwards, if they need a refuah, I'll give it to them. But it's a real punishment. Shanem, like the Pasuk tells us, Hashem punished the Egyptians. Meaning, first He punished them, and then He created the refuah afterwards. So here, what was the refuah that He created before? Here the refuah that he created before was that the story with Mordechai hearing Bigtan and Teresh had occurred first, which was the tipping point for the Geula. So meaning first that happened and there was the precedent that would eventually result in the turnaround and only then was Haman elevated to his position of authority. That's the idea. So this Haman hated Mordechai, which we'll speak about more later. But it was disgraceful in his eyes to send his hand against Mordechai. He didn't want to just destroy Mordechai. He wanted to destroy the entire Jewish people. So Amar Rav Rav says, First he wanted to destroy Mordechai. And afterwards, in the nation of Mordechai, who is the nation of Mordechai? It's the rabbis. So for, first he wanted to destroy Mordechai. Then he figured he'll destroy all the rabbis. And then afterwards he said, I'll destroy the entire Jewish populace. So what does he do? He feels poor. He casts a lot. He creates some sort of a lottery. This was the lottery to determine which day will he send out the letters saying on that day they're going to destroy the Jewish people, that there will be such a royal edict. So Tana, the Brayta, teaches, When the lottery fell on the month of Adar, 
um, Haman became very excited. Amar, he said, Nafali por shemet bo Moshe, because the lottery fell on a day that Moshe Rabbeinu had died. That's very interesting, is that Haman was so aware of Jewish history. So he knew that Moshe had died in Adar. So this is a inauspicious day, a bad day for, for, for the Jews. But he didn't know. It's true. Moshe died in the seventh of Adar. Adar But he was also born on the seventh of Adar, and therefore this was not just a negative day; it was also a good day because he was born on that day as well. So Adar was the month chosen in this lottery, and he goes to the king and he starts to badmouth the Jewish people in front of the king. He wants to send out a royal edict saying, these Jews are extraneous, we want to destroy them. Yeshno Amechad, by the way, I want to just point something out, this fascinating thing. You see how Hashem was orga- involved here. You know, Since the beginning of Moshe Rabbeinu, like, he made him die. That's and true. Born and died the, the, that day mm. in Adar. And then it's true, but I was going to even say in context of the Purim story, story, even yeah. like this. You know, ten minutes ago, we, a couple of days ago, we learned about how Achashverosh was so excited that the Jews were not going to be redeemed, and he took out the kelim of the Beit Hamikdash, meaning he had a pride in the fact or a happiness that the Jews were part of his kingdom. And now we're talking about how Haman was able to go convince Achashverosh to send out a letter to destroy all the Jewish people. It's very fickle. There's a back and forth here. How one hand you're so excited to rule them, the other hand you want to destroy them. Ten minutes later, whatever, whatever it is, a month later, whatever it is, Hashem. The whole story is 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 Hashem's organizing this in a certain way. Very interesting. So Haman tells there is this nation. No one knew how to speak lashon hara, gossip about the Jews like Haman. He was a expert. Lashon Hara person. So every part of what he said, we're going to go through now and explain how it was really Lashon Hara about the Jews. Amar So what happened was, Haman turned to Achashverosh, let's destroy them. So Amar Achashverosh said, I'm nervous about their God. Meaning, you see, he was nervous. He said, I don't want Hashem to destroy me like he destroyed the earlier ones who abused them. Wow. You see, he had, he had, that sen- yeah, he had that a sensitivity. Of- so Amman said back to Achashverosh, Yesh no mina mitzvot. They're sleeping from the mitzvot. Meaning, you don't have to worry about it. They're not keeping the mitzvot anyways, so Hashem's not going to protect them. So Amar Lei, so Achashverosh turned back to Amman, he said, It rabbanan, but they have rabbis. Rabbis are keeping the mitzvot. That's a schut for them. So Amar Lei, Amman said, Amechadhin, it's one nation. Meaning, they're all lacking. You don't have to worry about it. You're not going to get punished if you destroy them. Um, So Haman said, he, he, he pre, pre, preceded the question, you might ask, I'm going to make a bold spot in your kingdom. Meaning, to destroy an entire nation, you're going to destroy an area of all kinds of people, and that could create a lacking in your malchut, because a whole area where Jews live would now become empty, and that's going to be a problem, and that would be an issue. So the answer he said back is, Don't worry. The Jews are scattered amongst all the nations. So destroying them will not create any sort of an emptiness in your malchut. 
Shema Tomar, maybe you'll say, Itanami Nayu. Maybe you'll say that there's a benefit that you have from the Jewish people. So he said back, Mifurad ke preda zo perot. Mifurad means scattered, but it also is preda. The same shorish is a mule. A mule is the animal that's born when a horse and a donkey have a child, and a mule can't reproduce. So what he was saying was, it's like a preda. It's the Jews are there. There's no perot coming out of them. There's no benefit coming from them. Vishema Tomar, maybe you'll say, that there's a country of these Jews, and destroying that could create an issue of an empty country. No, they're scattered in all the countries of your kingdom. You don't have to worry. And Haman continued, Their rules are different than the rest of the nations. What does that mean? So he was saying, They don't eat our food. They don't marry our women. And they don't marry into, our, our, into us either. It means both ways. So they don't engage with us. And you see how standoffish these people are. These people are so, uh, they're so angry against us. or dis- They separate from us. They don't do the rules of the king. What does that mean? The whole year, they're excusing themselves from work by saying, Right? Look, we, don't, we can't work anyways. So what he's saying was, not only is there no benefit, these people are not good for society. Let's get rid of them. And by the way, everything he's saying actually is true. Meaning, but the way you spin it is the problem. Meaning that's, that's the why he was so great with Lashon Ara. It's not worth it for you to keep them. What does that mean? Because they eat and drink and they disgrace the king. Why? Because even if a fly would fall in his drink, of a one Jew's drink, so he would take out the fly and he would drink the wine. But if you, the king, would touch their wine, would throw it in the ground, and he wouldn't drink it. Again, because there's an issue of Yain Nesach. So it is true, but he spun it in a way is that you're worse than a fly to them. You see, that's it. So he said, If it's good for the king, it should be written to destroy these people. And 10,000 talents of silver I'll, I will give into the treasury of the king. So Amoresh Lakish, Reish Lakish said, Hashem knew in the future, Haman would try to buy the destruction of the Jewish people with these shkalim. So lefikach therefore hikdim shiklehen lishkalav. What what Hakadosh Baruch Hu orchestrated was that the Jews would have a mitzvah of shkalim that came before the shkalim Haman gave as a kapara, as an atonement, so that Haman shkalim should not be effective. Behind it, it's not like the Mishnah Masechet Shkalim tells us beechad beadar mashmien ala shkalim ala kilayim. On the first day of Adar, when there was a Beit Hamikdash, the Beit Din would announce everyone has to give machatzit a shekel. Now, why would they announce it then? Because it had to be given by Nisan, which was a month later, when they would use these coins for the new korbanot zibur, the new public offerings. So a month before they would announce it, and the kilayim, which Rashi explains, the mixed breeds, meaning if plants started to grow in a mixed breed sort of way, people should know because now it's already determinable and you should uproot it. But the point is, HaKadosh Baruch Hu created that there was a kapara, that we did a mitzvah that was before his mitzvah, or before what he was trying to do at least, is that his destruction was meant to be in the middle of Adar, and Hashem gave us a mitzvah from the times of the Beit HaMikdash already that was before the beginning of Adar.
But I don't understand why yeah. he said that he's going to give like the 10,000 tons of silver. Mm -hmm. What does it have to do with uh, destroying the Jews? Oh, he said, maybe, maybe you're worried that you're going to lose some sort of a benefit. I'll even pay. Uh, for that. I will pay for, for, them, to for them to be all destroyed. That's how far Haman was willing to go. And, and as we're about to see, Achashverosh's response was, you don't even have to pay me. Which, which we'll, we'll, we'll get to that tomorrow. I think we'll, we'll begin with, um, you know, let, let's just do this last piece. So Achashverosh responded to Aman, keep your money. I don't even want your money. You could do with this nation as you see fit. He convinced him, I don't even want your money. That was how much of a rasha Achashverosh was. He didn't even need the money. He didn't say, keep your money, I don't want it. So I'm Rabbi Abba. Rabbi Abba explained this idea, the relationship of Achashverosh and Haman, with the following mashal. Mashal da Achashverosh ve Haman. Turning to Yadal Amar Aleph, lema davar dome. What is the comparison? Shnei bnei Adam. You have two people. Leachad ayelo tel betoch sadeu. One person had a mound of dirt in his field, and he didn't want it there. Leachad ayelo charitz betoch sadeu. The other one had a ditch in his field, right? A hole in his field that he needed to fill up. So bal charitz. Uh, Amar, the owner of the ditch, said, Who would give me? I would pay for dirt to fill up the hole in my field. Balatel Amar, and the owner of the dirt said, Who would I would pay to put my dirt in somebody's hole? Meaning each of them said we would pay to fix up our fields because they're damaged. Either there's a hole or there's too much dirt. Le'amim, after some days, they bumped into each other, they met up. So the owner of the ditch said to the owner of the dirt, Sell me your dirt so that I could fill up the hole in my field, and I'll pay for it. So Amarlo, the owner of the dirt, said, Take it for free. That would be great. So in a similar vein over here, Haman was offering to pay to destroy the Jewish people. You see how much of a son Israel Achashverosh was, he was just happy for them to be destroyed in the first place. He didn't need to take money for that destruction, which really, I think I pointed this out before, but people think like Achashverosh was this bumbling idiot, he wasn't aware of what was going on. The Gemara is telling us that he hated Jewish people. And we had that before also. We said he was like a brother of, a, of Nebuchadnezzar. He wanted to destroy, and he wanted to destroy. This is before, meaning it's before Haman came along. It happens to be Haman was a, was a vehicle, was a method to destroy the Jewish people. And really, I would say, is even in the end of the story, why does he save the Jewish people? Hashem orchestrates that he has a queen who's Jewish, and therefore he doesn't want to destroy the Jewish people. I don't think he became a great Ohev Israel. He became a great Jew lover. I don't think so. So... Achashverosh was Rasha Mirusha, and happens to be Hashem used him as a vehicle for the Purim story. But that's the. Exactly. I will stop here at the top of your dollar and Hashem. Pick up tomorrow.